the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Bruce Hooley Show podcast is brought to you by HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com. Creating jobs and restoring dignity one cup at a time. Good coffee doing good. Learn more at HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com. A pleasant Thursday to you. Welcome to the Bruce Hooley Show. 94.5 listeners in Dayton, 98.9 in Columbus, and thereabouts. It's getting ugly between the Columbus Board of Education and the city's teachers. An unfair labor practices charge has been filed with the State Labor Board by the school board against the teachers. The teachers had done the same to the board earlier. So we'll give you the details on that. We have more details on what led to the situation at the mobile home park in Springfield about 10 or 11 days ago that led to the uh, shooting death of Clark County Sheriff's Deputy Matthew Yates, the sister of one of the victims, the aunt of the uh, young man who shot and killed Deputy Yates, is speaking out to a Dayton television station. And three years ago today, the Oregon District shooting in Dayton that claimed uh, nine victims and the shooter uh, also killed. So we will cover all that today. We'll talk with Matt Mayer of Opportunity Ohio at noon. He has an interesting perspective as a former counterterrorism expert with the U.S. government uh, in the death of al-Zawahiri, the uh, al-Qaeda terrorist killed by a drone strike in Kabul, Afghanistan on Saturday morning. We'll start with the uh, hard feelings, (laughs) to put it mildly, between the Columbus School Board and the Teachers Union. The teachers say that they're not going to air condition the buildings. The class sizes are too big. You're not giving us competitive wages. And the Board of Education says, we are giving you air conditioning. We are giving you a really good raise above market rate. And we are doing something about class sizes. So it appears they are poles apart as the August 24th start of classes looms. Today, the teachers will take a vote. And depending upon the result of that vote, what they're voting on is, do we give them 10 days notice that, hey, we're going to strike if we don't get our way? So my guess is, yes, they will vote that way, because if you don't vote to provide notification that you're going to strike, uh, out the door goes all your leverage in contract negotiations. So here's Jennifer Adair. She is the head of the Columbus Board of Education, which is the school board that is squabbling with teachers about what the teachers are saying about what the board is offering. It is disappointing that the CEA is not fully transparent with its own members and the public. And of course, the teachers deny that. They say they have never spread misinformation. So a lot of this seems like posturing. But what is the offer on the table? Everybody wants to know, right, what are the financial offers? 
Okay, we are in an inflationary period, 9% inflation this year, thanks to the Biden administration's ridiculous economic policies. The Board of Education has offered the teachers salary increases that the board says exceeds the average teacher increases across central Ohio in the state. I don't have factor or uh, figures on that to vet the truthfulness of that statement. But what's in the deal is a 3% increase uh, next year and a 3% increase the following year. And they also get a $2,000 bonus in four installments during this coming year and the next year if you stay in your job. I mean, those 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 increases, the salary increase, 3% is not going to obviously keep up with inflation. But the bonuses are nice little bonuses. So I'm going to withhold judgment on whether those increases are satisfactory to maintain your standard of living uh, because I don't think it's realistic. We can talk about the practicality of it. But it don't, I don't think it's realistic to think that a teacher's union is going to accept a deal that it's not very certain will protect its members' standard of living going forward. Now, we could have a nice long conversation about teachers' unions around the country and who their political contributions land with, in whose pockets their political contributions land with, I don't think I'm going out on a limb unless the limb is um, 36 inches in diameter, strong enough to support me and a legion of other conservative commentators who would tell you that the political contributions of teachers unions far and away land in the pockets of Democrats. So if you're going to complain, teachers, about the fact that your salary increases don't keep up with inflation... Maybe you should blame your union leadership who's giving political contributions to Democrats who enact policies that make gas prices and food prices and every other kind of price skyrocket. Maybe the issue is not with the Board of Education that you want to give you a big fat raise to keep up with inflation. Maybe the issue is where your political contributions from your union dues are going to support candidates who then enact policies that make it harder for you to maintain your standard of living. So I don't have a whole lot of sympathy for you if you're in that teacher's union and you're complaining that your salary doesn't keep up with current inflationary numbers. You help put them in office. Maybe you should be, in the fairest of circumstances, the ones who should have to deal with that. doesn't seem to me that an average of 22 students in a class is an exceedingly large number of students. If you're a teacher and you can't control 22 students... I think maybe that's not your gift, teaching. The Board of Education says their standard is you don't have to teach any more than 150 students per day. 150 students per day. So they're looking at it like totaling up the number of students you have in class times the number of classes you're teaching, and then they're coming to their determination as to whether that's an excessive class size or not. There's room for conversation in there, I would think. And the Board says... But it still has COVID money. It aggravates me when I talk about how there's enough money sitting around at every school system in America left over from free government handouts during COVID to do things like air-conditioned buildings. Now, I think the buildings should be air-conditioned. I don't have a problem with that. I wouldn't want to work in an unair-conditioned building. 
But the fact that the government just lavished money on schools around the country to do imbecilic things like install plexiglass around desks, see-through cubicles for kids because they were afraid of the cooties they would get, the COVID cooties the teachers would get from students. Again, again, a lot of these problems are of the making of the teachers. Oh, we don't want to go back to school because it's not safe back in school. These little germ factories that I have to teach. So we got to build plexiglass and we got to wear masks and all this kind of stuff. Well, maybe if you hadn't insisted on uh, a plexiglass firewall, the district would have gotten around air conditioning the 16 facilities that don't have air conditioning currently. Now, the problem with this is it's really hard sometimes to pick a sympathetic figure when you're choosing between the Columbus Education Association, that's the teachers, and the Columbus Board of Education, okay? Because every single one of them, if they had to identify themselves by their political persuasion, would do it with the kind of grade you should give them for the job they are doing, a D. And I'm being charitable. So we'll stand by and see. I just hope, here's what I hope. I hope the kids are in school on August the 24th. I hope the kids are in school, not because I think the schools are any good, because they're not. The reading levels show that. I hope the kids are in school because their parents are planning on those kids being in school, and their parents quite likely, in overwhelming numbers, do not have the means to supervise their children or have their children supervised during the day. Either the mom or the dad, if the dad's even around, is going to have to supervise the children, the youngest children, during the day if they can't be in school. A, the kids are going to suffer because a lot of them get their only decent meal of the day in the schools. If the parents or parent have to stay home, they can't go to work. That's going to lead to what? More poverty, more welfare, more hunger, more more desperation, which leads to what? More crime. If the kids are left home unsupervised because mom or the non-existent dad says, I need to go to work to provide for my family... Then the kids left unsupervised, that's not a good situation either because it's bound to lead to all the things we're trying to avoid, more crime, more desperation. So it is, I wish the teachers would realize the ripple impact of their vote they're taking this afternoon to decide whether to authorize a strike or not because every single time, what did, what did the teachers' union president say yesterday? We're doing this so the kids can get the schools they deserve. Mm, sounds noble. How about giving them a community they deserve? How about giving them the safety and supervision and nutrition that they deserve? And that is incumbent on them being able to go back to school on August the 24th. So, I said it was hard to pick a sympathetic figure in this. The more I talk more it seems to me that the teachers are not the sympathetic side in this. Because I don't think they're lagging behind on benefits, and if they are, that's your own union's fault for signing the previous deal. It is interesting that today is the third anniversary of the Oregon District shooting in Dayton, which killed... Nine victims and a tenth 
death was the shooter. The shooter's victims included his sister. Officers with the city of Dayton police ended the threat 32 seconds after it began. That is what police officers do. They heard gunfire. They saw a crowd running away from the gunfire. And they do the courageous thing, the counterintuitive thing. They run toward the gunfire. That is what they did. And they saved an unknown number of lives. I say it is interesting that that is the third year anniversary today because it happens in the relative immediate aftermath of the murder of Clark County Sheriff's Deputy Matthew Yates, who also did the counterintuitive courageous thing when a call came in that a woman was in trouble at a mobile home park. We now have more details on what happened that morning at the mobile home park in Springfield. The sister of one of the victims is talking about what happened. The sister who is uh, speaking out is Deanna Arbuckle. She spoke exclusively to WDTN-TV in Dayton. Her sister, Jody Arbuckle, and her went to the mobile home park that Sunday morning because they were trying to check on 27-year-old Cole White. Cole White is the woman talking to the television station's nephew. Okay? So Cole White had apparently been a sufferer of mental health issues. And his family was worried about him, and they would try to check on him periodically, and they couldn't get in touch with him, and they couldn't find him. And so that morning... These two sisters went to the mobile home and they didn't see him, couldn't hear, couldn't find him, wanted to know if he was in there, wouldn't come to the door. So they crawled in, the one sister who died crawled in through a window after um, people had tried to check on him by bringing ladders to the mobile home climbing the ladders to look in the windows of the mobile home. Here's the quote from Deanna Arbuckle. They climbed up on ladders to look in windows to try to see him, and he appeared lifeless on the floor. So Jody, that's the sister, went in. Then, of course, something bad happened because someone called 911 about, hey, there's a woman in trouble in this mobile home. That's how Matthew Yates and the Clark County Sheriff's deputies showed up on the scene. He barged through a steel door to try to save a woman inside that he did not know. And he was shot and killed by Cole White. Now here is audio from Deanna Arbuckle talking about Cole White. And I think these kinds of comments are interesting to assess because too often... I think we hide behind things like this, easy ways to attribute bad things happening, instead of doing something that might be more productive and might prevent more things like this, if we assessed our own responsibility to do the things that we want some nebulous system to fix. Listen to what she says. This story for Jody and Cole 
is a story for every person with mental health, every family member of a person with mental health, every neighbor of a person with mental health. Okay, I can buy that. I can buy that it is a story for every person with mental health and all that. But her continued comment, I think, absolves someone that could make more of a difference than a system in preventing these kinds of things from happening. It's a reason. It's not an excuse by any stretch for what happened, but it's a reason because our mental health system needs so much more. Something needs to change because we need more help when it comes to that mental health system. Okay, so if you're worried about this young man because he's unstable or he's sending out warning signs, that anyone can empathize with. Nobody wants a 27-year-old man to be so troubled that he's not communicating with his mom, his sisters, his aunts. I don't know if he had sisters, but his aunts in this case. Nobody wants a 27-year-old young man to be so troubled that he's not coming to the door, that he's not interacting. I understand that. But did you notice what she did not say? And we don't know for sure if his family members knew that he had guns. But if you know... Rather than talking about the mental health system failed him, whoever you want to pin that on, my response would be, well, if you knew that he was that unstable, if you knew that he was reclusive and troubled, and as she said by her own words, he's lifeless on the floor, what effort did you undertake to keep away from him the guns and the instrument of death that he used on Deputy Matthew Yates. Now, maybe you didn't know. I will I will allow for the possibility that maybe you didn't know he had a weapon. If you didn't know he had a weapon, then I would say there was certainly no degree of blame to be assigned. But if you knew he had weapons because he was paranoid, because he talked about it, because he asked for money to buy the weapons, see, these are the kinds of things that we attribute to, well, the system failed. You know, he was in the mental health system, and this woman said to WTTN, he went into the mental health system, and he was in for a few days, and then he was discharged for outpatient therapy. I don't disagree with her opinion that the mental health system needs to be better, to be, I don't know if overhauled or tweaked or whatever. But again, you can't just wash your hands of a situation well, I turned him over to X and so-and-so, and so so I'm not responsible anymore. If you know that this person has the means to inflict pain and suffering on anyone, on victims, on law enforcement, on family members, I mean, he clearly was delusional because this is an either his mom or his aunt who climbed in the window, and she ended up dead. We don't have any determination yet whether... Cole White killed her or whether she was killed in an exchange of gunfire with deputies. We have very few details on exactly how this happened. But again, it's not just as simple as always saying, well, the system stinks. The system caused it. It's the system's fault. No, we all have a greater degree of responsibility to those we love than that. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. And I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.